It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 27, 2010. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Welcome to the program. Jacob, it's great to be here. We've been here for a while, but we've had a little bit of trouble getting started late, but we're going to start as though we're on time and, and roll with it. Yeah, uh, better late than never. That's exactly right. All right. And there's a new face between the two of us tonight. Uh, go ahead and introduce him. Clay Gentry joins us tonight. Clay preaches here in, in our immediate area, and we're glad to have him with us tonight uh, participate in a study. We have talked about this subject before on the virtual Bible study, but we had a, an email from a listener that prompted us to investigate that again. Our, our study tonight is going to be about the idea of once saved, always saved. This is a this is a theological doctrine that goes around uh, under different names. Once saved, always saved. The security of the believer, uh, the impossibility of apostasy. All those are names by which this theory goes. We believe it's a false doctrine, and we want to investigate it tonight. Again, our our study was prompted by an email from a listener named Rex. We're going to get to his email a little later in the program, but to our update list earlier today. We ask the questions, if you believe in once saved, always saved, provide the best biblical argument to support your position. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get any response. Jacob, you tried to contact a couple of Baptist preachers in our area to see if they would be willing to talk about it. Got no answer, I guess. Nothing yet. No, maybe okay. they weren't on their email this afternoon, but uh, no, no answer yet. All right. So we didn't get any response in people, of people who believe in that theory. Uh, so we may have to present some of those cases for them. But we've talked with enough people who believe it that we understand their position. And we know some of the verses that they would suggest, probably, and we'll try to deal with those as our program rolls on. Um, Secondly, we ask if you do not believe in what's saved, always saved, provide the best biblical argument in support of your position. We did get some answers uh, along that line. And then we want to especially look at Galatians 5, verse 4, in light of the email that our listener Rex sent in, and we forwarded that to everybody on our list, so we'll be looking at, at that also a little later in our program. Too. All right. Uh, the number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com, or you can join in with the chat room, several in the chat room already tonight, and uh, you can enjoy the discussion there in the chat room if you'll uh, go to our Ustream.tv page. We are uh, experimenting with some new video tonight, uh, the second week on the video, and uh, second week is worse than the first, but uh, we hope that... Uh, it's uh, viewable for you tonight, and we'll continue to work on those bugs. If you have any comments, you might send them in via email or in the chat room to let us know. If you uh, get to a point where you can't hear us or if uh, the video is uh, unacceptable, let us know. All right. Well, let's talk about this idea of uh, once saved, always saved. Of course, as we always do when we approach a Bible subject, what we're interested in doing is find out what the Bible says. Find out what the Word of God is on this subject. That's the authority. It is not a matter of personal opinion. This can be an emotional argument. We've got to take emotion out of it, at least for the purpose of finding the truth. I believe, we, I believe the right order, Clay, when it comes to emotion in our religions. We get the truth first. Let the truth provide the emotion in our lives. I believe we should be emotional about our religion, but emotion can't come before truth. Truth has to come first. True. And true. so we'll get the truth and, and uh, find out what it says. Um, we did have some quotes just to sort of identify what this position is. I've got some quotes from some people who believe in it uh, and have for a long time. Dan, I don't know if you've got those quotes up or not. The first one is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which says, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And so you get the idea there from the Westminster Confession that you can't fall from grace, right? Now, if you want to know the implications of that more specifically, here's a famous quote 
by a preacher named Sam Morris. He was, at the time that this quote was made, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Stamford, Texas. And here's what he said. We take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. Now, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, I don't think anybody has any trouble understanding that. That's, that's the position, once saved, always saved, or the security of the believer. Uh, the, standard man, the, the Southern Manual for Baptist Churches by Edgar Edward T. Hitchcock says, We believe the Scriptures teach that such as are truly regenerate, being born of the Spirit, will not utterly fall away and perish, but will endure unto the end. And then there was a a, a debate. Uh, a man named Nunnery debated Guy N. Woods back in 1946, and he's uh, this Nunnery, who believed the doctrine, signed this proposition. The Bible teaches that a child of God cannot so act as to be finally lost in hell. And so there's some quotes for you. I don't think... Probably any of our listeners have any doubt as what's meant by this position, once saved, always saved. But there's there's the view. I mean, very plainly and specifically described in these several quotes that we just mentioned. And so, what about it? How first of all, how should we approach it? Clay, you've you've taught on this subject before. Give us give us a starting point. How you want to approach this question? Once saved, always saved. Is it true? Well, obviously it's not because uh, as I uh, teach on it uh, when I present my lesson on uh, why do we believe a Christian can fall from grace, the uh, first thing I like to do is just go back to, and look at what Jesus taught uh, on this particular topic. Um, and then we always want to look at what the epistles taught because they are affirming the words and teachings of Jesus. And then the third thing I like to do is I like to just look at some of the Christians in the Bible, some of those who were followers, who were saved, uh, but did uh, so conduct themselves as to fall from grace and to be eternally lost. All right, let's start with the first suggestion that you had. Give us an idea of something that Jesus taught. I, I see you've got a pretty significant list of passages where Jesus taught on things that would apply to this subject. Give us a give us just a at least a sampling of that. Well the first one I like to turn to is Matthew chapter twenty four. Here Jesus is giving some of the last uh, commandments before he departs, some of his last teachings. And there in verse forty five of Matthew chapter twenty four he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler of all of his goods. But, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, he begins to beat his fellow servants. The master of that servant will come on the day when he is not looking for him, and at that hour he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus aptly says, I'm going to appoint people. I'm going to put them in charge. I'm going to make them Christians, we might say. And these Christians can either follow him and they'll be rewarded, or they can begin to follow him and fall away, do evil, and they will go to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think we both know where that place is at. That'd be hell. That yeah. would be eternal punishment. So he, Jesus is pretty clear in describing the situation there that a person who could be in his service right. would then ultimately end up being lost. Well, Very clear. Yeah, I think it's even clearer when you just go to the first verse of the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Now we know the rest of the story. The wise virgins, the five wise virgins, went in when the bridegroom showed up. Well, who's the bridegroom? Well, that's Christ. And they would go into eternal security or into uh, eternal paradise. But the five who were unwise, the five foolish virgins, who were part of the kingdom, who were Christians, who were saved. They because this unwise. is a parable of the kingdom. That's right. So they were, they were a part of this, and That's yet right. they were excluded 
at the end, at the end, they were excluded. Not, exactly. be, not, not because God couldn't save them, but because of their own actions. Because and of their actions. That's exactly right. So, uh, again, th- there's a sampling. There's more that Jesus taught that we could emphasize concerning the idea that people who were in a relationship with the Master could lose that relationship and be lost eternally. Jesus taught along that line. As we pointed out before, Jesus, more than anybody else in the New Testament, Talked about hell, about eternal judgment, about the possibility of being lost. And in these concepts, he suggested that among those who would be lost, some who were in a, a relationship with the master to begin with, but lost it. And, uh, Clay, what about the parable of the sower? There's another one. Well, the parable of the sower there in Luke chapter 8 uh, is a really good one. Uh, you know, that's a really good one because Jesus gives us his own uh, commentary on that as to what the meaning of it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look there in uh, Luke chapter 8 and you look at verse 6, it says, Some of the seed fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up. Now, what would we consider it being be significant about it springing up? That's our new life, right? That's right. That's the new life. life. The word is implanted in the heart. It is starting to bring forth and bear fruit. But what did it say? It withered away because it lacked moisture. And then when we look at Jesus' commentary on that, there in verse 13, he says, But the ones on the rock are those when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Mm-hmm. That sounds so like re- Acts chapter 2. With, receive me, the word. Right? Receive the word, right. Yeah, exactly. and Acts chapter 2, those on the day of Pentecost receive the word joyfully, gladly, and 3,000 of them were saved. So it sounds like to me like they were saved. And these had no root who believed for a while. They got, the fa- they got faith. That's right. They got faith because they believed. Okay. Jesus said if you believe, you're baptized, you're going to be saved. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, The Calvinists uh, would say if you believe, you're saved. That's right. So, so, so but the Calvinists would have to argue that person's saved. That's right. But what happened to him there at the end? Yeah, he fell away. He fell away. Uh, and I think there's just three very clear teachings there of Jesus that someone can be in him, be his servant, but ultimately fall away because of their own actions. I think John 15 is also another passage about being in the vine. Uh, Jesus said, anyone who abides in me, I am the vine, anyone who abides in me and does not bear fruit. What's the word we're looking for there? Abides in him. Mm -hmm. They do not bear fruit. They're in him. They're in him. But they don't bear fruit. They don't bear fruit. What happens to them, Jacob? They're cut off. They're cut off and burned. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so there we've got uh, some significant teachings from Jesus along the lines of the possibility of being lost. So uh, as Clay suggested, a good starting place, obviously, is to talk about what Jesus says on that subject. And I think Jesus' teachings are pretty clear. Now, uh, maybe we should take a break, Jacob. Let's take a break, and when we get back, let's look at some of the teaching in the epistles concerning what can happen to a person's faith and their salvation uh, and we'll go to that right after this break. All right, we're going to go to a break, and when we get back, we look forward to taking your call. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeu.com. Take a minute and let us know how you're hearing us and how we look. Uh, technically-wise, we know we don't look that great uh, visually. Not, not too pretty. Aesthetically, <laughs> but uh, technically, how's the video looking? And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we are barely ready to roll tonight. Lots of technical difficulties, but we're getting through. We appreciate Dan and Jeff who are navigating the new system and uh, doing their best to get us on the air tonight. We appreciate that. We're going to go to the phones now and to go up to Pennsylvania, and we're going to welcome Harv to the program. Harv, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Uh, It's good to be here, Jacob. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can't. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, all, all the wires are connected, Harv. Let us know what you think on this subject of once saved, always saved. Well, uh, just a couple of scriptures. Um, one uh, from, from the Hebrew writer um, in chapter 2, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed that things we have heard, lest we drift away. There's an idea there that we can drift away from something 
and we kind of proceed with that thought in uh, in chapter three and verse uh, six. It says, "But Christ is son over his own house, whose house we are." If and there's a condition there, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So there's an idea there. You've got to hold on to what you've been given firm to the end. Uh, and there's a, you know an admonition, a warning there for that. Also, later in that chapter, for we become partakers, this is a, verse 14, we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. When you put those things that were written there with the Hebrew writer, uh, along with what Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also receive, and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And so all of those passages that you're suggesting, Harv, have that important word, if, in them. And that that's the word, of course, that conveys conditionality. In other words, it's going to happen, but it, it, it only happens based upon us fulfilling the condition. The, the promise is there, but it's not an unconditional promise. It's dependent upon what we do. That's absolutely correct. Well, you're exactly right. And, and I, I, you know, in, in ordinary, everyday speech, when people hear that word, they understand it means it's, it's a dependent thing. It's not, a, it's not an unconditional thing. It's conditional. And, and it's a, a little bit frustrating why people see, can see that same word in the Scriptures and ignore its implications. Well, if you think about it, it's a lot easier to, to look at um, conversion as a finish line rather than a starting line. I mean, if it's just a finish line, then it really doesn't matter how I live my life. I'm okay from this point forward. And it really brings no responsibility to live and be converted, true conversion, true repentance. You have to show proof of that repentance. You know, Harv, I've heard I've heard it expressed before as, and that that this doctrine is actually an invitation to low living. In other words, if you didn't think it mattered, then it'd be very easy to not even try to live a righteous life. If you're saved and you can never be lost, that would just be an invitation to you to do whatever you please and not even make effort to live the way God instructs us in His Word. I think that's the uh, the ultimate conclusion you have to come to if you uh, embrace that doctrine. Exactly right. Well, Harv, we appreciate your participation with us tonight. Uh, I hope I hope you can hear us okay in Pennsylvania. We can. I use Skype and it worked, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're on Skype tonight. Yes, I called through Skype. All, all right, right good deal. So we got all kind of technology working on both ends here tonight. Lots, lots of lots of thank you, Harv. Good Thanks, to hear Harv. Tonight. Bye bye. Lots of opportunities for uh, technical difficulties, too. So, uh, <laughs> uh, we appreciate Harv for uh, going to the trouble to con- contact us tonight. And you- uh, Harv mentioned several verses from Hebrews uh, that suggest the idea of the conditionality of our salvation and security. And I had just been noticing in the chat room, and uh, Jack in the chat room has mentioned several, Hebrews 6.6, 6, Hebrews 10.26-31, Hebrews 12, 25. Uh, Sharon mentions Galatians 5, 4. Now, that's the one we're going to get to later in our program. That's the one that Rex emailed us about. Uh, and then Jack has also mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 2. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. So several several uh, suggested verses are coming in in the chat room regarding arguments that can be made that show the idea that once saved, always saved is not a biblical concept. All right. We'll continue to look at the scriptures. We'll contrast them with some of the quotes that we've noted and some other quotes as well, where people say there's no way you can go to hell with what the scripture tells us, conditionality based upon whether or not we will enjoy an eternity in heaven based upon how we live. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. So we've looked at what Jesus said about the possibility of apostasy and didn't stop there as we go through our New Testaments. Over and over again, the uh, New Testament writers warn us about the danger that we could fall away. You know, if we wanted to just uh, add just a couple more to this, um, 
you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 13 uh, would be a, a good one that, that we could look at. Romans 8, 13. Actually, going back to verse 12 to set the context, he says, Therefore, brethren, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knows that these are his brethren. So they're saved, right? We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right, now here's a, quib- here's a quibble for you. All right, uh, give it to me. I've, I've heard people say, I've heard people who take this view, once saved, always saved, that if you sin and if you continue and, and persist in sin, God will just strike you dead and take you on to heaven. And so they would argue in verse 13, if we live after the flesh, you shall die. In other words, God will just strike you down. He'll strike you dead. But that doesn't mean that you'll lose your, your salvation. You, you might die physically. He'll, he'll strike you. But the problem with that view is that it, it, take the verse on. Yeah. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You'd have, if you're taking that view on the first part, then you'd have to argue from the second part that you could potentially live never, forever. Ever. That's right. If you, lived, if you lived a righteous life, that you would live forever and ever. So obviously the, the verse is talking about spiritual death, not physical death. Well, I'm glad that our once saved, always saved person believed in it, you know, actually uh, made a comment over here. <laughs> All right. All right. Let me give you one that you can't refuse. Okay. All right. No, no, well, I, I, know, I think the I verse know, is a good one, obviously. I know. I know. I know. First Timothy 4.1. And Sharon in uh, South Carolina has referenced First Timothy chapter 4, so yeah. good timing, Clay. Yeah. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Just wonder if Paul might have had this in mind. Depart from the faith. Depart from the faith. Mm-hmm. Now you can't depart from a place that you're not residing there. I, I departed from my house. Come over here. You were in your house to begin because with. Because I was in my house to begin with. They could. They are departing from the faith which they are residing in mm-hmm. to follow after these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Yeah, Dan, we've got a chart on what you what can happen to your faith. Do you see that one? All right. Uh, and these are all quotes of things that Paul said to Timothy. He said, your faith can be overthrown, Second Timothy 2.18. He says, your faith can be cast off, First Timothy 5, verse 12. He said, your faith can be departed from, First Peter 4, verse 1. And he said, you can make shipwreck of the faith, First Timothy 1.19. Did I say First Timothy all the way through there? I mean, those, yeah. those were all from First and Second Timothy. Now here, think about it this way. Could a person be saved whose faith was overthrown, who had cast off his faith, who had departed from the faith, and whose faith was made shipwreck, and yet he's still saved? That, that's the position you'd have to take uh, to hold to this idea of once saved, always saved. You, you, you'd have to say his faith – here's, here's a guy we're describing. His faith has been overthrown. He himself has cast off his faith. He has departed from the faith. He has made shipwreck of his faith. But he is still saved. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. In fact, uh, you know, the, the very idea of that destroys the message that Paul was teaching. Absolutely. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the uh, ways you contact us tonight. What do you think? Do you think we're wrong? Uh, do you think that you, it is impossible for you to lose your uh, salvation? Let us know your thoughts. All right, I'm getting some emails. Um, and I'm not going to have time to get them probably before our break. But we have an email, Jacob, from Brian in Jackson, Tennessee, who says, why do some people think that being saved by grace is all one has to do? Okay. Uh, they don't have to be baptized, and they say they cannot go to hell because of God's grace toward us, and because of God's grace, they do not have to do things, do these things. Uh, but he says, and I'm paraphrasing, if we believe that we can lose our salvation from committing sin, then they believe we are wrong. How do you convince a person that they're not reading to the fullest and, leave, and that they are actually leaving out parts of the Bible? Well, Brian, I think based on even the verses that we've been suggesting already, you have a very correct idea that you have to take the sum total of what the Bible says. It, it's possible to pull a verse out of context, and there are verses, Clay, that you could pull out of context and, and argue once saved, always saved. But if you take the full context of which those statements are made and the broad context of the whole Bible, you've got to harmonize everything. 
And and I think Brian's suggestion is right. You got to take everything into into consideration. Everything has to harmonize. All right. One of those passages that Brian may have heard is uh, Ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine. I think we've all heard mm-hmm. that passage used in this discussion. In fact, Clay, because when we say uh, that there are things that we must do in order to be pleased to God, there is uh, are acts of obedience that we must uh, do. They go to Ephesians chapter two verses eight and nine. For by grace you are saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the argument goes like this, Clay: You can't set, you can't lose your salvation, nor can you earn your salvation. If there were, if were, if there were things that you had to do in order to be saved, then the Ephesians two eight and nine wouldn't be correct. And if there are things that you can do and lose your salvation, then again that would contrast with Ephesians two eight and nine. What do you think about that? But, you know, let me say this. Uh, let's not make light of what is actually said here. Mm-hmm. By grace, you have been saved through faith. What a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic thing. And by no means, by questioning this doctrine or bringing up any of these other passages about losing our, 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 our faith or falling from grace or losing our salvation, are we mitigating or, or saying that these verses like this doesn't have any power? Mm-hmm. But Jesus said, and actually Peter said in Second Peter 2, that there are things we're supposed to do. We're mm-hmm. supposed to add to our faith, okay. uh, and that, which is one of the passages uh, that, that I, I have written down that we could look at a little bit later on. But when we are adding to our faith, when we're doing those things that Jesus has called for us to do through the Spirit, through the apostles, through the Word, then we can have great confidence in our faith. And, and I think we'll probably explore a little bit of that at least by the end of the show, maybe not right at this moment. All right. What about what about the idea, though, that if, if you have to be obedient, then that somehow negates the grace of God, and it somehow equates with you earning your salvation? Because I think this is the crux of the argument uh, from the Calvinistic approach to the once saved, always saved uh, doctrine is, if you have to be obedient, if you have to live by the law, the instructions that God has given in his word, then that would mean then you're earning your salvation. Well... Uh, there's a difference between earning something and meeting conditions. And okay. I, th- I think that's the problem. A lot of people try to equate the two, that if there are any conditions placed on a thing, that that means necessarily that you are earning it. And I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, if, if I said, uh, I will give you $1,000 a day, every day, if you will promise and, and, and verify that when you get up every morning, you do five push-ups. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you $1,000 a day on the condition that you do five push-ups every morning first thing out of bed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you did the five push-ups, would, could you justifiably say that you had earned the $1,000? Well, no, there's nothing, there's nothing in doing those push-ups that, that would justify being paid $1,000 for. It's a condition you have to meet. You haven't earned it, but it's a condition you have to meet, and you have to verify that, that you've met the condition in order to receive that $1,000 gift. It's still a gift. Mm-hmm. You haven't earned it. And that's the way it is with salvation. Initially, we have to obey the gospel plan of salvation. Upon hearing, we must believe, repent of our sins, confess our faith in Jesus, and be baptized. Those are the initial conditions of salvation. That puts us into Christ. And we haven't earned that. I mean, that, that's just obedience. That's meeting conditions. It doesn't, certainly, that doesn't earn us what Jesus did for us on the cross. They're, just, they're, they're not even in the same league. Mm-hmm. There's no way that doing those simple first steps of obedience means that, that I am worth what Jesus did for me on the cross, that I earned what he did for me on the cross. It's not so. We don't believe that. Nobody teaches that. Furthermore, I have to be faithful unto death, Revelation 2, verse 10, mm-hmm. in order to receive a crown of life. But being faithful, Jesus said it well in John 17, verse 10, when you have done all that you've been commanded to do, say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done that which was my duty. We will, if no matter what we do or how much we do, we will never be able to say that I have earned my salvation. But it, those are still necessary conditions. So it's the difference between meeting conditions to receive a gift versus earning. Nobody is saying we earn, but we're saying there are conditions to receive the gift. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go to break. Uh, in uh, Jennings, Florida tonight, Nick is listening. He says, he references Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Talking about the grace of God, it's appeared to all men. What does it do? It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, lest we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God's grace, Nick says, teaches us to do things 
and things we are not to do. So it tells us what we need to be doing, tells us what we ought not to be doing. We're not earning our salvation. We're just uh, complying with the instructions that God has given us. We appreciate uh, Brian for his question tonight, and we appreciate you listening. We hope that you'll stay tuned throughout this break as we go to a break at this week's bullet point. And when we come back, we go for the second half of the hour, delayed by 15 minutes tonight, uh, as we discuss uh, once saved, always saved. Let us know your thoughts. Join in on the discussion now. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Now you... Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up hearing God. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We have, unfortunately, heard too often about church members who get upset with something, develop a bitter attitude, and finally announce that they do not intend to return. Someone will inevitably report that, quote, he quit the church. We think this terminology fails to fully describe what has actually happened. In reality, he decided to forsake the Lord. It is hard to imagine how someone could fail to honor the one who suffered so much and died such an agonizing death in his behalf. No matter what one's circumstances may be, it would never justify abandoning the one who gave his all. Anyone who contemplates quitting the church should stop to consider that doing so will in effect crucify afresh the Son of God and put him to an open chain. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 6. Furthermore, the quitter is turning his back on his faithful brethren. These are the very people who care deeply for his spiritual well-being. They have likely made great efforts to encourage him, support him, and help him. Prayers have been made for and about him, and various acts of kindness and concern have been directed his way. There are no truer or more devoted friends than these, but the embittered church member is determined to walk away from these relationships. Of course, the deserter is also abandoning the responsibilities that he assumed when he became a Christian. He refuses to take up his cross, Matthew 16:24, and shows that he intends to permanently neglect all of his duties. In reality, the one who abandons his spiritual commitments is enlisting in the devil's ranks. He is throwing his support to the evil one who endlessly fights against the kingdom of God. In effect, he is saying that the church doors should be closed and permanently locked. If it were up to him, this would be the outcome. So this church quitter has denied the Lord, turned his back on his brethren, forsaken his duties, and joined the army of Satan. To say that he merely quit the church certainly does a poor job of describing the full impact of his foolish decision. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now back to the program. And we're back. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. As we talk about once saved, always saved, we're comparing what people have said about the doctrine with what the scriptures teach. We've uh, looked at uh, Sam Morris, who says that there is nothing he can do to make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. And I've got a, a quote from a preacher in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Bill Foster is credited with saying this. If I killed my wife and mother and debauched a thousand women, I couldn't go to hell. 
In fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Yeah, that boy. They really the, the people who believe this doctrine are not that outrageous. I wonder what his wife thought about that yeah. when she heard that in a sermon. Uh, but but <laughs> here's the here's the thing though. That is the practical end of this argument. In other words, most people who who believe this would be just outraged by that quote, and rightfully so. I mean, it's 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 outrageous. But if you're going to be honest, then that is the end result of this line of argument. That's where it leads to, and you you have to be willing to accept that conclusion. If you're going to be if you're going to be logical, you have to you have to be. Willing to it's say, not a stretch, and I mean it's it, not a stretch it, at all. That's right. It is the, I mean it's just as logical as can be. If you believe in this doctrine, you've got to accept that you can do whatever you want to do. I think even one preacher has said if he was caught in, uh, if he was struck dead in the committing the act of adultery, that he'd still go to hell. Yeah. I mean to heaven. So, uh, l- let me let me read what Don in Antioch, Tennessee, has said. He says that the way in which I do believe in once saved, always saved is from the standpoint of when you draw your last breath, because this is the point when anybody's truly saved. One verse I use to support this belief is Matthew 10:22. He that endureth or perseveres to the end shall be saved. Uh, so he's saying if you make it to the end, if you endure until the end, you'll be saved. I, I agree with that. He says the way in which I do not believe in once saved, always saved is from the standpoint of a one-time event in the past which will carry us through until the end. This is a totally different concept from the perseverance of saints. In other words, he's saying, because I did something in my past, therefore my ticket is punched and I will go to heaven no matter what. I, he says he doesn't believe that. That's what we've been saying, too. Okay. Well. All right. All right. Um, and then I got a couple of emails from Pat in Harvest, Alabama. And uh, for sake of time, I, I can't read all of the verses. He, he has sent in a long list of verses that suggest the idea that once saved, always saved is not true. Uh he mentions Galatians 5.4, which we want to talk about here just momentarily. Uh, a good one that he mentions is Second Peter chapter. We haven't mentioned this, but I don't know how you can have a discussion on this subject without mentioning Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 20. It talks about some. It says, if, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So they, know, they learned about Jesus. They escaped the pollutions of the world. These are saved people. They are again entangled therein, therefore, meaning they were once unentangled from the pollutions of the world. Now they're entangled again. They were saved. They're back in it again, right, Clay? Yeah, you know, something that just hit me here. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, under the tenets of Calvinism, a person is so totally deprived prey that they cannot know about God unless... There is the act of the Holy Spirit working on them, and then they have knowledge. They so know even if you God. believe that, I don't believe that, but I even if that. you did, but that, that verse says they yeah. do. Even if you believe Calvinism, you have to accept that these people were saved. Yeah, exactly right. Now, he says they are entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed who are wallowing in the mire. I I've never I've never been able to find someone who believes once saved, always saved, who could offer a reasonable explanation of that passage. No. So Pat, you're right. That's that's a good one, brother. We appreciate you sending that in. And then he has sent in uh a long uh one on the walls of Jericho. Joshua six verse two says the walls of Jericho fell by grace, Hebrews 11.3 says the walls of Jericho fell through faith. Uh, the, the walls of Jericho fell, Joshua 24.13, not by the, the own works of the, of the Jews. Uh, so uh, it was by grace through faith and not of works. But Pretty, they still had to march around. They still had to march around. Would you say that? Because I want to preach that this week. <laughs> yeah, Did you that to that's, me? That's preachable. Thank that you, Pat. That is great. Great. Thank you so much, Pat. All right. Uh, uh, and then Harv, who we talked to on the phone a minute ago, says the wages of sin is death. The only thing we can do to earn salvation is to live our entire life without sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What we earn is to go to hell. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. So, so the only way you could earn it, as Harv is saying, is if you lived a perfect life and had never committed sin at all. Yeah, exactly right. So, and so Harv is saying we're not teaching meritorious salvation. We don't believe it. We're not teaching that. We're not saying you can earn your salvation, but we are saying there are conditions to meet in order to be saved. 
Thank you, Harv. Thank you, Harv. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Jim in Mount Pleasant simply sends in, I know I do not believe in the argument of once saved, always saved. Why too many clear passages such as the following? For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse uh, than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy command delivered unto them. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Which I was just reading, right. And uh, yeah. Second Timothy chapter 2, or 2, verses 17 and 18. And the word, uh, and their word doth eat as a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. If one can become entangled again, it must mean that they were not entangled before. If one can have their faith overthrown, it must mean that they had a strong faith before. In each case, the passage deals with those who are no longer saved, um, and, uh, and so on. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate those good Thanks, comments. Jim. All right, let's get to... Uh, this question on Galatians 5 and verse 4 uh, that was sent in from our uh, listener, Rex. And he he believes that we have mistakenly used Galatians 5 and verse 4. Now, let's read that uh, uh, just to get it on the table for our discussion. And And certainly we have used this. Jacob, I know that you and I have both referred to this many times on the virtual Bible study, Galatians 5, verse 4 says, concerning those who want to be justified by observing parts of the Old Testament law of circumcision in specific, says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that idea of circumcision is not terribly critical to our discussion tonight. We have just used the expression fallen from grace. And the, the old illustration that I think highlights this so easily is, you can't fall out of a boat unless you were first in the boat. In other words, you can't fall out of something that you weren't in. And so concerning grace, you can't fall out of grace unless you were first in grace. And so this is talking about some people who were saved, and you can fall out of that saved condition. You can fall from grace. That's the way we've used that verse before. Now, Rex says that he thinks we've misused the verse, and he uh, has a, I think... I don't think he wrote this. I think this is a quotation from an article, perhaps, that he had. Um, I'm going to read it real quickly to get it uh, out there for our listeners. He says, In what way had those seeking to be justified by the law fallen from grace? Uh, The correspondent assumes, and I think that suggests us, our position assumes, but does not prove that to fall from grace proves that you once received saving grace. Evidently, the same assumption would follow that one who is severed from Christ was once joined to him savingly. Aside from the contradictions of such a position uh, that it creates with plain assertions of Scripture elsewhere, the fact of the matter is Paul is addressing those who were seeking to add to faith in Christ the single act of obedience encompassed in circumcision. Clearly the Judaizers were not saying you did not have to believe in Christ, nor were they importing the entirety of the law of Moses. Uh, Paul argues inconsistency on their part Uh, as part of his refutation of them. Instead, they were adding a select list of things one had to do in addition to faith to be right with God. Paul has already laid out the stark contrast between the path marked by law-keeping obedience and that marked by grace-inspired faith in Christ. One cannot go down both paths. These men were still seeking their justification. Unlike true believers who look back on theirs, Romans 5 verse 1, They had not yet found peace with God by faith in Christ Jesus alone, and Paul says they never will find it going down the path they're going. They have been severed from Christ, not in the sense that they're going, they have been severed from Christ, not in the sense that they had been salvifically, I think you made up a word there. No, that's a theological word. You're probably not enlightened enough to know that word. They have been severed from Christ, not in the sense that they had been salvifically united to him, and now he was failing to save them, but that by seeking to be justi- made justified by something other than faith alone, they were severed from the only true source of life in Christ. They had fallen from grace, not that they had been salvifically regenerated and justified and sanctified by grace already, and were now destroying that grace by their beliefs, but that they had fallen away or failed of grace by proceeding down a path grace has never and will never mark out, that path of human cooperation and works of righteousness that is so much the desire of the unregenerate heart. To prove that God's sovereign electric, uh, to prove that God's sovereign electing grace can fail to save the elect 
would require a text far more to the point than the one addressing false teachers who are perverting the gospel like and thus cutting themselves off from salvation. Yeah, we'd have to have an explanation that's a little bit more uh, to the point than well, this. This, is, this. This makes me dizzy. <laughs> now, what, what he's saying, basically, Clay, do you, see if you can... Can you summarize? The they weren't Christians. They basically. No, they, no, he says they're not. They, they were no, Christians. Yeah. They, they had the grace presented to them, and rather than accepting it, they turned away from it, That's and right. therefore fell from the grace. In other words, but, they were trying to come up with some scheme, a combination of things that included circumcision. It included keeping parts of the old law of Moses. They had come up with a scheme, and they were pursuing this scheme, and thus they had moved away from grace. They had failed of grace. They had, fallen, they had fallen away from the grace that would save them, which is taught in the scriptures, faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ. and obedience. Of course, he doesn't believe in, in acts of obedience. But in other words, they were, they, were, they were coming up with a scheme that's not taught in the New Testament, and that's why they were not going to be in grace, because they weren't going the right way. They'd gone uh, um, some man-made way. You know, if I understand what Rex is saying, is they they really weren't saved to begin with. That's right. They were not. Okay. These these guys that he he, and again, I think that Rex had probably copied this this essay from someone else. Yeah. Uh, but the the concept is they were not saved yet, and they were not going to be saved because they were going the wrong way. Now I can see that if it was a, a situation like Acts chapter thirteen, where the Jews had rejected the teaching of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It is necessary the word of God should have first been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you, and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. They had the grace presented to them, they turned away from it. But I think, uh, Clay, if we look at the context of Galatians chapter 4, I think you and I are headed down the right, the same well, path. Well, first of all, before we do that, because I, uh, and I, several of our emailers, uh, I think, are on the right track, too. But, Clay, I think, as you suggested, that this is the old view. They weren't saved in the first place. It's anybody who's lost, according to the Calvinists, anybody who ultimately is lost was never saved in the first place, right? That, that's right. And, 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 you know, Rex, if you're listening, I just invite you to get your Bible out. And just together, let's read Galatians 1, verse 4. And uh, i got to give Pat, uh, Pat down in Alabama some credit for this because he emailed this in earlier. Let's read verse, uh, we'll start with verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... For our sins, that he might deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father. So that identifies who the letter is written to. Yes. Now, now I'm going to have to let me play the Calvinist for just a minute. These people were saved because they had been unconditionally elected by the will of our God and Father, and they had received a limited atonement which is the doctrine that says Jesus only dies for the elect. How do I know? I'm playing Calvinist here. How, how do I know that these people are saved? Well, we, we, we don't agree with that, but even I, I know. If, but if we did... That's right. Right, go ahead. Just answering it from the Calvinist point yeah. of view, when I read verse 4 from a Calvinist point of view, I see, hey, these people are saved because Jesus died for the people that are being addressed So to. whoever this epistle is addressed to were people that Jesus died for. So even the Calvinists would have to argue these are saved people. That's right. That's right. And then in verse 1 of chapter 5, the immediate context, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. free. They're saved. That's right. They're saved. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled again with this that they were wanting the to bring into effect here and would make you fall from grace. These were saved people. There's no way to deny it. We need to take one more break. And uh, when we come back, we got you're, you're ready to go. We're going to take a break. I'm going to shut you down. <laughs> and then we come back. We need to talk about the context of Galatians chapter 5 because I think yeah. Acts chapter 15 we tells got us about who was Jim. teaching this. It was not right. non-Christians who were teaching this. We got emails from Jim in, uh, in Kansas who's on this, uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, and Aaron in Texas all are on on the mark here. We'll get their comments after this break. All right. We're going to take a break and go to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Hello. My name's Jeffrey Vernon. 
I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And welcome back to the program. We're glad you're a part of it tonight. We appreciate you bearing with our technical difficulties um, as we continue on uh, and talk about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Clay, I interrupted you in mid-thought there about, <laughs> right. uh, about this. Uh, go ahead. Well, you know, we, we, we've established already that the, the people who, uh, the Galatians, Paul is writing to, they're saved people. Whether you, you want to look at it from the Calvinist point of view, which we don't hold, you have to admit they're saved. If you look at it from a biblical standpoint, which we believe, they're saved people. And yet we see here, and I'll just point out two passages for, for time's sake. Look at verse 6 of, of chapter 1. I marvel that you, saved people, are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So they're called. They're, they're called people, and they are leaving. They are turning away uh, from the faith. And then we, we would look at... Uh, uh, the passage which we are is under discussion, chapter five, verse four, uh, that uh, we have that they had fallen from grace; they have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. And uh, just to correct one thing that he says here about the Judaizers, you go all the way back to Acts chapter fifteen, and, and you just look there, at verse five. And uh, it's not that they were just trying to add some select points. You kind of, you were, you, you and I were going to the same place, Jacob. It's that they wanted them to be circumcised, which was the act of becoming a Jew. But these were Christians who had that's right gone. Yeah, just look at verse, Acts chapter fifteen, verse five. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. Now, even if you're going to take a faith-only stance, these people are Christians. These people are saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them. This would be Gentiles. And to command them to keep the law of Moses. All Paul's pointing out is that they're hypocrites because they don't keep the whole law. It's not that they were just trying to have them do some select things. And then one last thing I'd add. It's not that they were trying to add. One of the reasons that they wanted to follow uh, going back to the old law was so that they wouldn't be persecuted. You look at Galatians, uh, Galatians 5 verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And so Paul's saying, hey, I don't teach this. And if I did, I would. why am I suffering this persecution? And then you look over at verse 12 of chapter 6. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, to be circumcised, though these who would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And so these people were wanting to do this. So that they wouldn't be persecuted. They're not trying to add to the gospel. All right. I want to add one thing about uh, whoever wrote this in their essay here, the last paragraph. To prove that God's sovereign electing grace can fail to save the elect would require a text far more to the point than one addressing false teachers who are perverting the gospel and thus cutting themselves off from salvation. He says this is not addressing Christians. This is talking about false teachers who who are not even never were saved. All right. Well, how about if we talk about believers who pervert the gospel and thus cut themselves off from salvation. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 does that. It talks about, and if we give, if we give them the fact, which we're not going to give them the fact, that Galatians chapter 5 is talking about false teachers. How about uh, our non-Christians? Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Though we, Paul, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If Paul had preached false doctrine, he would have been cut good, off from good salvation. Point, good, point, good point. Jim in Kansas says... Uh, concerning what Rex sent in, verse 1 here in Galatians 5 identifies those referred to in verse 4 as people who had been set free by Christ. He then describes accepting circumcision as a necessary part of salvation as becoming entangled again in the yoke of bondage. One cannot become entangled again in something he was not once free of. There were brethren being... Uh, these were brethren being warned about a false doctrine and being told if they went back to the law for justification, they would fall from the grace of Christ who had freed them from the bondage of the law. Pretty straightforward, he says. I agree, Jim. Thanks. Jim in Mount Pleasant says, uh, he assumes but does not prove that there is more than one type of grace, a saving grace and a non-saving works kind of grace. Since he uses the term received saving grace, no such distinction is made in the Scriptures. 
Rex is like most who want to believe that any time fallen is mentioned, it must mean one has never really been saved to start with. Thus, his whole discussion is to suggest that these were not saved to begin with. If so, then, why does he address them in this epistle to the Galatians? Uh, Why does he address them this way? To all the brethren which are with me, uh, Galatians 1 verse 2. Why in context does Paul say that they were to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, Galatians 5 verse 1, if these folks were not really free? Why tell them that they had run well, Galatians 5 verse 8, and were now being hindered, if they were never really in the race at all. In effect, what Rex wants is for Paul to be addressing non-Christians in an epistle directed by divine authority as inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is directed to Christians. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the epistle sent to Christians, in which in the middle of it all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden it begins to address non-Christians any more than you can have a discussion on grace and all of a sudden suggest that Paul is talking about two different kinds of graces. All right, good points, Jim. And then Aaron in Texas says, ignoring for the moment the false idea that your author promotes about a supposed incompatibility between faith and obedience as requirements for salvation, the main point is that he is simply incorrect about whom Paul is addressing. Your author says that the intended subject of that, com- of that comment about falling from grace is the false teacher who had never been saved in the first place. If that were true, then Paul picked the wrong expression. Those people had not fallen from grace because even according to your author, they'd never attained it in the first place. They had not become estranged from Christ because they had never been joined to him. The audience for Paul's comments here is those disciples who might be drawn away by false teachers. We know that because uh, those in danger of falling were those people who had escaped the yoke of bondage, verse 1, who were in danger of returning to it. They were those who had not yet been circumcised, verses 2 and 3, though the Judaizing teacher clearly had already been circumcised. Paul is warning them about, did you get that point? I think that's a good point. The Judaizers had already been circumcised, and he was talking to people who had not yet succumbed to that doctrine of the Judaizing teachers yet, Mm -hmm. but were in danger of doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul is warning them about the dangers of a path they had not yet taken, but were in danger of taking. They were called brethren in verses 11 and 13. They are the same ones who in uh, in chapter 4 are said to have known God and been known by God, and yet were in danger of their conversion having been in vain, chapter 4, verse 11. The, the false teachers do come up for discussion in verses 12 and, uh, 10 and 12, but they are referenced in the third person, phrases like he who troubles you and those who trouble you, not in the second person, as in verse 4, you have become and you have fallen. Because the, because the teachers aren't the ones Paul's talking to. He's talking to those who are being troubled by men bringing false doctrine. The teachers themselves weren't troubled at all. All right. Uh, as typical, uh, Aaron's got some really good thoughts there, well stated. And as typical, we have run out of time. All right. We didn't get to your last point, Clay. That's well, okay. let's make it real quick. Clay, make the point. Uh, uh, here, here's the idea. We're saying once saved, always saved is false, and, and it's not a true doctrine. You can lose your salvation. You can so sin as to be lost, despite what these false teachers are teaching. Does that mean that we can have no confidence at all as Christians? No, you know, we don't want to, to leave a discussion like this without saying that we can have great confidence in our salvation. But it's not a false confidence based on a false doctrine. It's a true confidence based on the way in which we live our life. Uh, as Ephesians 5.15 would say, we walk circumspectly. We walk carefully. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there in verses uh, 26 and 27, that we discipline our bodies, we bring them into subjection, lest when we have preached to others or taught others, we ourselves may become disqualified. And I think the great passage would be Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering the time of my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there's a there's Paul's confidence. He That's spoke right. with great confidence. And we can have that same confidence, but it is not some kind of a false. We don't achieve that confidence by deriving some kind of a false theory that's not supported in the Scripture, that, the false theory of once saved, always saved. That, that's right. And I would just end with this. In Second Peter chapter 1, beginning there in verse 5, Peter said, uh, For this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith, Virtue and to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness to love. For if these things are yours and abound, 
You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even the blindness and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. He says now, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, do what? Add to your faith. Grow every day as you serve God. Then you will never stumble. And an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's that important word, if, again. You know, what this does, having confidence in our salvation based on the fact that we're serving the Lord faithfully, that calls us to a higher life of living. Is that that kind of how you said it? That one saved always saves calls us to a lower... Uh, Invitation to low living. Low living, that's right. And this is an invitation to higher living. Very good. If we don't stop now, uh, Clay, your wife will never let you come back. Yeah. <laughs> good study tonight. Uh, Thanks, we guys. Have, I appreciate it. We apologize again for our technical difficulties, and we'll make a commitment to try and have that all ironed out by next week. We thank those of you who stuck with us through our difficulties last week and this week, and uh, we're going to try to get this all ironed out, Jacob. Thank you, Clay, for being here tonight. Thanks, guys. And, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being on the Thanks, other Dan. Tonight. Thanks, Jeff. And Dan and Jeff are running the controls tonight. We're glad that they're here tonight. Thank you for being a part of the program. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information, about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the Internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.